Well, it's great to see everyone. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I've been, I've been traveling a little bit the last couple of months. Uh, I was out in California with pastors meeting, had a commitment on that. That ends next year. And then Pam and I were down in Texas uh, seeing our daughter for vacation. And then last weekend I was in Nashville meeting with another group of pastors. But uh, boy, nothing like home. I always uh, love you guys. It's always great to be, be here and I'll be here for a while. And I'm glad I got all that behind me. And uh, excited about uh, what God's doing here at, at Grace. I, I feel like an o- I owe you uh, to get back to you on the whole Synergize campaign. Um, we're not talking about that anymore, but I feel like I owed you a report on that. Actually, here at Fremont, uh, we raised over 618000 over the course of three years that have been committed to, which is great. And, uh, and then up in Northwood, over 55000 during that same three-year period. So we're excited about that. And not only that, David was telling me that last month, there was like 100 people that gave to the, that Growing With Grace deal and, and didn't even turn in cards. So I don't know who you are, but hey, thanks. Uh, we appreciate that too. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we lost in our country uh, a major statesman for the gospel. Billy Graham. And I don't know if you caught it last Friday, a couple days ago, they had his funeral. Anybody see that? And uh, the bagpipes at the end, very cool, very classy stuff. And uh, I heard a story, had a hard time verifying this, so hey, uh, there's a lot of Billy Graham stories floating around, so I'm not 100% sure, but I heard the night that he became a believer, he went to a revival meeting, and he and a friend of his, they walked in and there wasn't enough seating, and actually they turned to leave. And there was an usher there who saw them turning to leave. He, he grabbed them and said, hey, I, I got a spot for you. And he sat them. And then there was this guy speaking. I think his name was Mordecai Ham. And he was the evangelist, and he preached the gospel. And Billy became a believer that night. And you think about stuff like that and how God uses ordinary people um, Billy, you know, just God pulls the guy from the hills of the Carolinas, and, and I think he has preached to more, the gospel to more people than anyone in the world. And, uh, and I just thank God for how God uses people that, that we don't even remember. Not Billy, but who was instrumental in his coming to Christ. And, and by the way, I'm not talking about Mordecai Ham. I'm talking about that usher. We don't even know his name who turned him around and found him a place to sit. Hey, when here at Grace, we are carrying that same torch of the gospel, and we want to impact as many people as we can for Christ. We will do that here. We want to do that around the world. And right now, through our Tiffin campus, we want to go more deeply, for example, in, in Seneca County. And I, I hope that you pray for us about that. And Billy was, was a very innovative guy at his time. He was doing things nobody was ever doing before, packing stadiums. Nobody had, to my knowledge, really done that much. And we, we want to do the same thing. We want to take that same gospel. We want to be innovative, strategic, and we want to be effective with how we communicate it. So just ha- pray, pray with us about that. Another couple things before we dive into finishing up our series is uh, tonight is uh, a, a, an event for men. Guys, what is it? Fight Club. Fight Club. You know, that almost sounded like 
Fight Club. Instead of Fight Club, you know, all right. So let's try that one more time. Guys, what's tonight? Okay, yeah, that's way better. Yeah, Fight Club tonight. And if you don't know what that is, uh, that's for men uh, 18 and over. It's at 10 o'clock tonight here at the church. And what we do is we have challenges over the next 11 weeks. We challenge ourselves in five different areas, uh, relationships, uh, in the intellectual area, the physical area, the spiritual area. We're, we're, we challenge each other uh, to make a difference. And, and so we're, we're excited about that. So 10 o'clock tonight, you should be there. And if you think, well, I have some limitations or physical limitations or whatever, come, we'll figure all that out. And then next Sunday is couple things. Baptism, as I think Luke was talking about, baptism next Sunday, huge. If you have not followed the Lord in, if, in believer's baptism, why not you? I mean, next Sunday, we're going to make this happen. We're going to have a, the baptismal write-up. How many of you have seen us do a live baptize? You know, we do it a lot at, out at the beach, but this is right here. We're going to do that. That's next Sunday. And it's also time change Sunday, and it's also time change the bad way. So we lose an hour's sleep. So that means if you come at the same time you normally come and you go to bed the same time you normally go to bed, you get less sleep. Suck it up and be here anyway. You know, that's what I'm telling you. You don't want to miss next Sunday. Be here. Change your clocks in the afternoon. Do something or just lose the hour. You're not going to want to miss next Sunday. And again, if you've put your faith in Christ, if you raise your hand sincerely saying, yeah, I'm putting my faith in Christ, and you haven't followed by being dunked underwater, that's God's idea. He wants you to do that next Sunday, make that happen. If you want to be included, you can fill out a card and turn it into the, the information table, but we're going to give you an opportunity, even if you don't do that, to be included next Sunday, so I'm just warning you, it's a great time. Don't miss it. Um, we're finishing up Rite of Passage today. This is a series where we've been talking specifically to men, and, and I know we live in a world where distinctions based on gender are kind of frowned upon, but, but Scripture says uh, we're all created equal, we're all loved by God equally, but we're different by design. And I believe as go men, so goes the family, so goes the church, so goes the nation. And sadly, for a lot of men in our country today, it's not going well. Um, every statistic from porn to paternity from divorce to detention rates, it shouts with clarity that men in our country are, are struggling to be what God intends us to be. And Paul gives us some strong words. As a matter of fact, there's a place in the New Testament where Paul just says, act like men. And that's the passage we're going to look at. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Here's what Paul said. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. I mean, that, that's Paul, right? He speaks to men here, and he gets it down. He's like a military general whipping out short commands in precise order, and he expects them to be obeyed. And right in the middle of these five imperatives he gives us is this one imperative that says, act like men. And I believe the two before it and the two after it, the, the imperatives before and following really are describing to us what Paul means when he says, act like men. 
And so I want to break down those four commands surrounding this command, act like men, and I want to break those down, and I want to just speak about that. The first one is beyond the alert. His first command, his first imperative, beyond the alert, beyond guard, beyond watch, he's saying. Be ready. Don't, don't fall asleep here. It's a present imperative calling for constancy and a continued state of mind rather than just a one-time action, be ready, oh, you were, good job. No, continually, be ready, always be on the alert, ever aware, ever at the ready, constantly paying attention. And we do this for our families, for what God has entrusted to us. We need to be, be on the watch, is what God's saying. I remember before Pam and I got married, we were, we were dating, and I, this could have been when we were engaged, I, I don't remember, but uh, Pam lived in a, a trailer park kind of a place. It was the very cheapest place she could live. She lived there with her youngest brother. And, uh, and then I moved to that same, about two blocks away in that same trailer park. And if you're thinking these uh, nice mobile home neighborhoods with manicured lawns, this is not that. All right? This is like, uh, it was called Tanglewood or Manglewood or something like that. And uh, it was more like the migrant camp on the side of town. I mean, this was not a, a nice place at all. As a matter of fact, Tim and Becky lived in the same place uh, nearby. But anyway, it's a whole other story. But so when I, I, worked, I was going to graduate school, and I worked the 3 to 11 shift. And so I'd get off at 11 o'clock at night. I'd come home. And about, so about 11.20, I would look over. There was actually some vacant places in between my trailer and Pam's trailer, and I would look over to her trailer, and if her light was on, that was like a signal that I could come over and talk to her a few minutes, that she was still awake, because she got up, or we both got up early in the morning. So sometimes it wouldn't be on, sometimes it would be on, and I'd go talk to her five or ten minutes, which is really nice for me. But anyway, when, when I was doing that, there, at this time, at this place, there was a guy that snuck around the neighborhood at night wearing black. And the people who became aware of that called him the ninja. And so this guy is kind of, you know, just, uh, just this guy. You know, I thought this guy's just kind of whacked out a little bit. But he was always sneaking around. One time when I was going over to Pam's house through this vacant lots, um, it was a, a moonlit night, so you could see fairly well. But then there was this dip, and there was a shadow in the dip. And sure enough, this guy's laying in the shadow in the dip. And I, I spotted him. And... Uh, and I decided I didn't want this guy hanging around Pam's trailer. So he didn't know I could see him. So I walked over to him and we had a little talk. And, uh, and if I could just, guys, you know what I mean here? I was very persuasive that I had better not see him again hanging around Pam's trailer. And uh, if you want to know exactly what I said, you have to come tonight. You know, that's just for guys. But... Uh, but anyway, he, I never again saw him. He, he, just, he, he didn't do that anymore. But God's call, we just have that in us, right, guys? We want to protect. We want to be vigilant. We want to watch, be on guard, take care of who God has entrusted to us. And that's what, that's what Paul's talking about. Be on the alert. Pay attention to your family. Keep the guardrails. Stay tuned in. And it's not only be alert, but he's also telling us, secondly, stand firm 
in the faith. Men, Paul is calling us to stand firm in the faith. And that can be a little confusing. What he means by in the faith is he's not saying keep being a Christian, although you could, that's, some of that's implied. When he says stand firm in the faith, by faith what he means is stand firm in this body of truth that God has given us. Stand firm in the truths that you've been taught as a believer. Stand firm in the faith. Don't give up. Don't waver. Hang tough. Do not compromise. Biblical truth. Stand firm in the faith. And i got to tell you, we live in a day where even people who wear the name Christian have abandoned biblical truth in a lot of areas. Why? Because it doesn't fit our culture. Why? Because that doesn't seem to be, it just doesn't seem like that's going to play well. That's not an option. We're called to stand firm in the faith. It's the same thing like Paul later wrote to Timothy. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what, that's what he's talking about. I've stood firm in the faith. We're called also in Scripture to contend for the faith. And, and he's using this military language that would remind us of people standing firm against incredible odds like the Alamo or Thermopylae or Gettysburg. You know, it's standing firm in the face of opposition. Stand firm in the faith. And preferably, if you can, stand with a band of brothers. You'll only be stronger to protect and pass on biblical truth no matter what. As fathers, if you're a father, it's our responsibility to not only stand firm in the faith, not only to stay firm in biblical truth, but to pass that truth on to our children. Our responsibility, God says. So he says, beyond the, beyond the alert, he says, stand firm in the faith, and then there's that act like men. But then the third way we act like men is he says, be strong. And when he says, be strong, he's talking, it's not a physical strength that he's referring to. He's telling us something, and, and written in the Greek language, it's in the perfect passive tense, and that gives us a couple of clues. Perfect meaning it's not a one-time action. We be strong. We continually keep being strong. But the passive tense is, it's kind of unusual in this circumstance. And basically what he's telling us with that is that passive voice shows us that the strength God demands, he provides. So when he says be strong, what he's saying is be strong in the Lord. Be strong and God will help you be strong in how God wants you to be strong. God will give you the strength, men, that you need to be strong for your family. God calls us to strength in our character, in our conduct. We need to to be strong for our families. Like I believe every man needs a good woman. Women 
need men. Most of all, they need their man to be a source of strength, stability, leadership. We've got to be strong. Scripture says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. You know, and if you're living with a woman that's not your wife, that's wrong. You're, you're doing it wrong, God says. I'm th- and, and no doubt in this room, there's people that fall into that category. I'm so encouraged that uh, we have a, a pre-marriage class going on on Wednesday nights, and, and we have some men who realize, hey, this isn't right. I want to honor God with my relationship, and they're, they're getting married. That's what God wants for us. And then the major decisions that you make together as husband and wife, be strong, men, because ultimately those decisions are on you. Be strong, and God will give you the strength that you need. And then the last imperative, beyond that we should be alert, be alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong. Is that he says in the next verse, let all you do be done in love. The fourth way, we act like men, let all you do be done in love. Do things in love. And there's two specific areas in the Bible where men are told to lead. And it's not a, it's not a politically correct thing to say anymore, home and church. But when we lead in those areas, we lead with a self-sacrificing kind of a love where we put others' needs or our wife's needs ahead of our own. And God will give us the strength to do that. God will give us the strength to love the way God has called us to love. Of course, when we think a lot, a lot of times about loving self-sacrificially, probably the easiest area for, that to, for us to do that in is fatherhood. You know, our kids, they, they start out helpless. We, we have to love them. And God has something specific to say to fathers, but before we get there, I want to set the context. It's a well-known context in Ephesians chapter 6, and it starts this way. It actually starts with a directive toward children. It says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now, I don't know what you think when you hear the word children, but in this context, children is, could be uh, grown teenagers. It could be people in their 20s, people who are going to college. It's people who are not yet able to support themselves and are living at home. That would be children. And they're called to obey their parents. And so if you fall into that category, when your parents or guardians ask you to do something, do it, unless it's against what God would say. They ask you to do something, you do it. And then as Paul continues this passage, he then goes back and buffs it up by going 1,500 years prior to the Ten Commandments, and he continues this way in verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. God's saying, hey, I promise, this is a promise from God, 
if you obey your parents now, you'll have a better life later. If you obey your parents now, you'll have a better life later. And it's amazing how many teenagers don't get this. Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, all pastors do some counseling, and every once in a while you'll talk to a teenager, which is really enlightening sometimes. And, uh, and, and a lot of times it comes down to, you know, that whole authority and obedience thing. Oh, my parents want me to do this. I don't want to do that. And so it's like, well, actually, you know, the Bible's saying you're supposed to submit to your parents. And parents, God gave you. I mean, you really need to, to yield to their authority and submit. And they'll say, well, it's crazy. It's nuts. You know, you, know all, you can imagine all this stuff you hear. And then you hear all that, all this pushback. And sometimes they'll say, well, well, well so you don't want to obey your parents. So you're going to turn 18 pretty soon. What are you going to do? Yeah, I'm, I'm tired of this authority. I'm tired of these rules. I'm going to go join the Marines. You know, and you're thinking, oh, yeah, that'll fix everything. Yeah, that'll be a piece of cake. That'll be way easier. Yeah, go for it, man. You know, it's just sometimes we get funny things in our head. Well, well that'll be better for me. No, but notice the next verse. It's children obey, and then who's this on? He doesn't come back and say, hey, it's not so much on the parents or even the moms. Check it out. Next verse, verse 4. Fathers. It was obey your parents, both, but now all of a sudden it's fathers, not mothers, fathers. Uh, by the way, some Bibles have changed this word to parents, which is not right. We don't get to change biblical words to, things, to other words that we think sound better. Revelation tells us not to do that. That's a problem. But he starts out, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, so it's a negative and a positive. Fathers, don't do this. Don't provoke them. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's when you deal with your children in sort of an overly harsh way or an unreasonable way, which causes them to have avoidable anger. Sometimes you're going to make your kids angry. We get that. But just make sure it's not because you're going over the top. Do not provoke them to anger. Get that. Don't be unreasonable. Think things through. Don't, you know, when you need to work with them to be able to see that they're not having avoidable anger that, that they may not have by just maybe explaining something or taking into account their age or whatever the case may be. And it's all on fathers. And that, Ladies, it doesn't mean you're off the hook here, but, but the focus is on dads. And I believe, and I believe research shows this, that dads have a more helpful or more harmful influence on children depending on their parenting. I believe compared to, to dad, moms, they'll have an influence on kids. They, they nourish and love kids, and, and they have to do some discipline too. I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you, and I didn't take the time to re-pull this research up that, I, that I've read before. But it makes sense with Scripture. Dad, a dad's role in his child's life will be either more harmful or more helpful to the child depending on their parenting. So 
I believe Scripture's telling us, and I believe research bears this out, that discipline is best dealt out by dad. Moms always have to do it too. I'm not implying that. But I think it's even better when dads take the lead on the discipline. Men, step up. That's our role. Don't, do not provoke. We don't provoke, but we bring them up. How do we get it right? If This is how not to do it. How do we get it right? We bring them up, our kids, in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, when he talks about discipline, it's just like it sounds. It's training, encouraging, and reinforcing to them what they're to do. But it's, dads, you bring them up. You train them. You're involved. Dads, you're on the front line. You take responsibility. And if you're too busy, you're too busy. Do not let this opportunity slip by you. Take advantage. Take responsibility. God God has put you, Dad, in the primary role of trainer. That's the discipline. The discipline and instruction of the Lord, and these terms are very close and interrelated, but if anything, the instruction then is as we're disciplining and training, instruction comes in as our children get a little older that we can then, along with our training, give them the moral reason why. Well, why do we have this rule? Well, why is this the way it is? Well, there should be a moral reason that's tied to Scripture for everything that you're telling your kids. It should be part of it. That's the instruction part. We teach them as they get a little older and they're able to understand, we start feeding into them, even if they're not asking, as soon as they can understand the moral reason behind the rules that we have. They need to know that. That builds them up. That helps them understand biblical truth. That will help them in the future to keep the faith, just like we're trying to do. The moral reason. Yesterday, um, I had the opportunity to, in Tiffin to talk to an athletic seminar and, and I was thrilled to be able to do that and got to talk about faith and how faith plays a role in, in students' lives and and it was great. And I, I don't know how well I did at that, but here's what I do know. That coach Judd Lutz and coach Kurt Malott, they care about students and they care about every aspect of their life. And there were other, a bunch of other speakers there too, and even Melissa was, was speaking at that. I mean, just there's a lot of people there. But here these coaches went out of their way to make sure that that these students could hear every angle of developing their character on, off the field. Children, if you fall in that category, here's what I'm saying. If your parents tell you to do something, the proper response is, okay, yes, I'll do it. If you're old enough to think through that, it's also okay to say, yes, I'll do it. Can I ask why? Yes, I'll do it. Can I ask why? Not every time will your parent be prepared to give you a reason. Sometimes they'll just, well, I can't explain it right now. Just trust that I love you. But sometimes they'll use that as an opportunity to, to, 
to make you understand where they're coming from, that there is a moral basis, a moral reason why. What alarms me is that sometimes dads, especially dads that are newer in the faith, they'll be interacting with their kids and, and maybe they didn't live such a structured or a Christian life. And they'll, they'll say to me, well, Kevin, who am I to tell my kids they shouldn't do this or that? My, my 18-year-old, my 19-year-old who's living, who am I that living in my home? Who am I to tell them to do this, do that? I, I did the wrong thing when I was their age, and they know I did the wrong thing. So who am I? I'll tell you who you are. You're their dad. You're her dad. So you tell her the right thing. She's old enough to understand that you didn't do everything right. God will help you with this. But you have to take the lead on that. Be instructive. Set the guardrails. Be insistent. Use all your influence to point them toward right and toward God. That's what God expects of us, and we do that in love. It's a heavy responsibility. And men, if you're, you're, you're sitting here and you're kind of thinking, ah, I'm kind of a little freaked out right now. That's, that's heavy. I don't know if I'm ready for that responsibility. If you're a dad, you don't have a choice. Whether you're married or unmarried, if you have kids, you need to make sure that they're getting biblical truth. You need to love them by bringing them up in discipline and instruction. You need to model for them what it looks like to actively follow Jesus, what it looks like when Jesus impacts our life, how it changes us. They, they need to see that in you. You need to be around enough that you're involved and they can see that in you. It's sobering. It's scary. I know some guys will be like, whoa, Kevin, hey, you know, I'm kind of new to the Christian thing. I haven't been a Christian a couple years. I'm not sure I've got this all figured out yet. You know, this is... This is scary. I don't know that I got it all figured out. Well, you need to get it in gear because your kids need you. And if you want to develop some Christian discipline, that's why we have fight clubs starting tonight. 10 o'clock. Yeah, you can clap if you want. You know, one, one lone clap. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, all right. Tonight, we'll be there 10 o'clock. You know, and people are like, well, why are you meeting at 10 10 o'clock at night. Sounds weird. 10 o'clock at night. So we're not taking you away from your wife or your kids. That's the idea. You're just losing sleep. Self-sacrificial. Just get a little less sleep and do the right thing. We don't want to take you from your wife or your child. That's why we don't have meetings. We have three meetings in 11 weeks. One before it starts tonight. One after it's over. We're done. And just one meeting in the middle. That's it. So you're busy, we get you're busy. Join us. Learn with us. Grow with us. 
Maybe tonight, bleed with us. We'll see. Just come and be part of it. You got limitations? Hey, we'll figure it out. Can't run? That's okay. We'll figure it out. Just be with us. Join us, 10 p.m. tonight. Every day, I pray for my children, my grown children now. My three children and the three people they married, pray for them every day that, that they will grow closer to God and learn to love him more with all their mind, strength, soul, spirit. I, I want them to, to love God with all their heart. And I pray that for Pam and I too. And every day, I pray for my grandkids that first, that they would grow up to place their faith in Jesus. We don't ever take that for granted. That they would grow up and make this decision to follow Christ. And then I also pray that they would do that early enough, earlier in their life rather than later, although any time is, is good. When they do that earlier in life, they can spend their life serving God in truth and joy. And every day, I pray that God would make me a better man, a better husband to Pam, a better dad, and a better grandfather. Because I know to my family, God has given me influence, just like he gives you influence. And I want that influence leveraged for my kids and grandkids to grow closer to God. I want to do everything I can to point them to God because that's the most important thing, that. I'm going to close this in prayer, and, and I'm not going to stand here or anything because after, after I'm done with prayer, we're going to turn off the cameras and have just a, a short family talk. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for modeling fatherhood to us. And God, I pray that you help all of us grow closer to you and take our responsibilities that you've given us seriously. And Father, I pray for the men represented in this room that live in a culture where men go the opposite direction of where they should by accumulating toys and just living for themselves. Lord, you've called us to something higher, a greater purpose, that we would invest in others, that we would act like men. Lord, help us to do that. And God, thank you for providing the strength that we need to do that, because it's daunting, it's sobering, it's, it's scary. Give us the strength we need, Lord, please. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.